Welcome to season two, episode 12 of the Home Healthcare Today show. I'm your host, Dr. Clemon Moore. Today, we have the honor of spending time with an industry leader, Mrs. Shelley Tsarn of Bright Star Care. Uh, we're going to dive into some rather interesting topics as related to the past, present, and future of home health care. Uh, let me uh, share a little insight about Shelly. Shelly's son is a certified franchise executive and the founder and CEO of Bright Star Care. Bright Star is a national home care and medical staffing franchise with more than 365 locations. Bright Star provides medical and non-medical services to clients within their homes and supplemental care to uh, staff for their businesses. Shelly, welcome to our show today. Thank you so much for having me. Shelly, it is truly an honor to uh, communicate with you this morning, and I am positive that there are so many great insights that you will be able to share with listeners as well as with viewers of our show as related to home health care. So Shelly, please tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, professionally, your personal background, and as I um, uncovered in your uh, longer bio, you had a background in accounting. What made you switch to the world of healthcare? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my, my background is in, in accounting, um, and I had had you know, a decade, decade and a half of senior leadership roles. I loved developing teams, mentoring yes. others, um, establishing really clear accountabilities, and then helping people move up and through their career and, and being a part of their journey to always be better. And so I would have imagined I would have stayed in a, a career of accounting if it wasn't for being called to be a part of a personal journey. Yes. Uh, my um, fiance at the time, uh, his grandmother was needing home care. She had uh, gotten diagnosed with cancer, but she was already in stage three probably close to stage four, very uncomfortable, was needing both non-medical care because she couldn't bathe herself. She couldn't um, to make sure she was taking her medications on her own, making her own food, and her husband worked. Um, and similarly, she was trying needing a nurse to help coordinate kind of the medications that she was taking intravenously to help manage the pain. And it was very difficult. I, I was kind of tasked as the one in the family to make the phone calls. Uh, I, I am known kind of as a hugger. I've got a big yes. heart. I'm very empathetic. I want to do good. Uh, and having an opportunity to do that for our moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, in this case, a grandma, it was something that I was you know, proud to be able to do, but was out over my skis, as many of your listeners probably are. You find yourself in this journey uh, and you don't know necessarily how to navigate it. And you're in a moment of crisis and things have just kind of sped up really quickly. You want to do all you can. You feel guilty. You can't do it yourself. But in my case, I had 
you know, was planning a wedding. I had a corporate career. Yep. I'm going through it right now with another loved one. And I've got my own 17 year old boys, a business to run my own mom, who's in a different state, as well as um, someone I'm taking care of here. And so yes. you know, you're, you're thrust into it. Yep. And it was difficult. There was not one company that I could have the non-medical and the medical. So mm-hmm. I was trying to interview and manage two different companies. Yes. When is one coming? When is the other coming? So it wasn't confusing for, for um, my soon-to-be husband's grandmother. Yes. Uh, so we went through and then we uh, we got married in March of 2022. She passed away the day before we got married. Wow. And she, let, she wrote a lovely note. Um, I think knowing that she was going to pass. Um, and I had done a lot to try to arrange care and we'd been down there to see her and everything in such a short period of time. She goes, I'm um, doors close and windows open and the door is closing and I'm leaving the family, but it's leaving a, a large opening for the large heart that Shelly has and entering yes. her family. And so wow. it, it caused me, it was very sweet and it yes. caused me, you know, six months of really kind of challenging myself. What did I want? my life to look like. At that yes. point, I had left CNA Insurance. I had gone to work for a, um, a fractional jet ownership company uh, that United Airlines owned. This is you know, six months after the World Trade Center. Yes. Uh, and the unions had things going on at United. They had a lot on the plate. And so the company I had just recently gone to was going to shut down. Yes. Um, and I had just gotten married. And so I went to the senior leadership of United and said, I'm the last one hired, but I've seen that you've been mispricing fuel. I think you have a lot of money that you could recover. How about if I stay on longer and you pay me a long, a larger severance to stay on and do that. And we'll know within 30 days if I'm right. Yes. It became the nest egg. I'm still risk averse. I'm an accountant by background. (laughs) It became the nest egg that I needed to take a chance on myself and take a chance on being an entrepreneur because I really felt that being in that journey with grandma Pat, I had been called to help other families like ours navigate it better and not have to call two companies. Yes. We were the first brand that started that put met medical and non-medical, t- non-medical together so that yes. we could do one-stop shopping for that adult daughter. Absolutely. Um, my case yes. is adult granddaughter, but the, but the yeah. adult daughter is usually the one um, arranging for the care. And that's, it's overwhelming anyway, trying to find one company, trying to find two was, you know, beyond the scope of what I could have imagined um, yes. in our day and age then of what was being done. So I spent six months soul searching. Um, I had this larger severance to be able to help me with kind of startup expenses for the first year of starting my business. And I went and I talked to a lot of potential referral sources, many who probably are the types that watch your shows, you know, social workers, discharge planners, physicians. Am I crazy? Is there a need for this? I'm not a clinician. How do I go about this? Um, And so I hired a registered nurse. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it, you know, um, doing it clinically in the best way to keep our patients safe, living their best life. Yes. Um, And so, you you know, it's kind of how we got started. We opened um, our first location in October 2002. Yes. Uh, the business grew. There was a, there was a lot of resin. Uh, there was a lot of need in terms of medical and non-medical, but also, I mean, you just think about 
you can shop at different stores. You can pick a different seat on an airline. Yes. You can get your different type of coffee at a different place or make it at home. You can mm -hmm. spend a little bit more to have a different experience. And what I found going through this myself is I couldn't spend more to have a premium experience. Exactly. Higher quality here, have them pay the caregivers a living wage. So yes. the caregivers wanted to be there. They came every day. They were delighted to be in the profession they were in. And we, we couldn't find it. And, right. and so what I want to do is it might not be for everyone, True. but we were going to be yes. somewhat unapologetic. We were going to pay our caregivers, our nurses, what they needed to make. Yes. Much above what everybody else made, much above minimum wage. Treat them well, recognize them, give them career pathing, give them continuing education. Don't make them pay for that themselves. Pay for their continuing education for them. Uh, make sure we have a registered nurse. It's part of every single case. From the first time we meet with a family on developing a personalized care plan, every family has a different experience. And then making sure the same nurse is coming in on a frequent basis to make sure the right things are being done. So it's been our premise from the very beginning, a high premium service, high quality orientation, paying and treating our caregivers, the best yes. in the marketplace, being an employer of choice. And then for those families that have long-term care or the financial resources to be able to engage in having that experience, the same that might you know, opt for a different experience on a long flight for business yeah. class versus right. economy class. Right. Not for everyone, I get that. Um, but really trying to feel great about what we were, what we were doing was the premise of going from being an accountant to being an entrepreneur. I wouldn't have been an entrepreneur if I hadn't been so passionately called to yes. make a difference. And 20 years later, as large as we've gotten, I still am the day-to-day -day CEO. I still own 100% of my company. I'm the only brand of this size and scale in the home care space where I haven't brought it, brought in private equity. I haven't sold out. Don't I, do I really yep. want to make sure the quality is high. And oftentimes if you've sold and brought in private equity, how you make more money is bringing down costs. And sometimes the way, the way that we're investing in things and having costs is to make the quality higher, to be investing in outcomes reporting that we'll probably talk about with Avalier, investing in technology, investing in clinical programs. And I never want that shortcut. No. We're not philanthropic. We need to be sustainable, but it's about the heart. It's about taking care of our moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and the way I would take care of my own that has been absolutely our founding mission and still holds true 20 years later. We, we started 20 years ago. Wonderful, wonderful, Shelley. Um, very inspiring journey, uh, encouraging. Um, taking that experience, taking the pain of dealing with uh, your fiance's grandmother at that time, Grandma Pat, and then saying, okay, I know how service should be rendered. I have a service background, I have a accounting finance background, but identifying that gap was imperative uh, to say to an audience, yes, skilled care, which is medically driven is highly important, but private duty, non-medical requires skill and compassion as well. And how do you combine the two in a way that provides solutions for families where, a home health care agency becomes an extended family member. So that registered nurse on the case and all those other clinicians and even the person that they talk to in intake and scheduling 
is a part of that family and helping folks in difficult situations. So congratulations and kudos, Shelly, for keeping uh, your heart, your mind, and your head in the right place in uh, building such a successful entity. Now, besides Grandma Pat, question two, as we progress here, I want to know, and I'm sure the audience wants to know, about some of those influencers, some of those uh, perhaps mentors uh, and, and motivators, because it's obvious that you are driven greatly by intrinsic rewards, the reward of giving, the reward of being helpful. But who are some of those people that you could think back over in your life that uh, inspired and influenced you? Yeah, there, you know, there's been there's been many, and it's changed kind of along the way. But you know, clearly, you know, I was um, looking for care for Grandma Pat, and wanted to kind of give honor to make sure that we were doing that. But I was blessed. I mean, I had no, you know, firsthand experience either as a business owner or in healthcare. Yes. And I had people, clients in the beginning that really gave me a chance because they could see my heart. Um, you know, I, uh, two will stand out for me. Um, and I'll, I won't use, um, last name since I don't have their specific permission to do that here, but um, I took care of Stanley and Anne, a couple who had been in the same home and been in a wonderfully loving marriage for 40, 50 years. And Anne had dementia, but was very able-bodied. Yes. And Stanley was sharp as a tack, uh, yeah. but his body was going. And, you know, we were with the family for probably six to eight weeks. And then Stanley um, was put into hospice and it, it, things were accelerating and he need, needed to move to a palliative center because the family, including Anne, said their goodbye, thought it would be too hard for her if Stanley passed at home. Yes. And yes. so um, I got to know all four boys well, there were four sons. Um, John more than anyone because he was kind of the coordinator in here local and I was sitting in um, my at the time I now married my in-laws um, kitchen because we had no money so <laughs> there was a time we had to move in with the in-laws um, but sitting there in the kitchen and I just said I've got to I've got to put a basket together and I've got to um, drive out for palliative care so I went to, to the grocery store, I got some, you know, ready-made, you know, cookies and I put them in the oven and I got, you know, crossword puzzles and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff uh, to take to have the boys have something to kind of um, uh, access to pass the time while kind of just sitting there. Yes. And I went in and Stanley, every time I'd see them at the house, I'd always kiss them on the cheek. Yeah. He was really weak and he couldn't even... He, fraction of himself. He couldn't even tell I was there in some ways. And John said, daddy, um, Shelly's here. And he couldn't even open his eyes, but he went. And so I walked over and I kissed him on the cheek and mm -hmm. I sat down beside him and he yeah. took my hand. I, I will never forget this. I almost get teared up. I've told the story a bazillion times, but I still can feel it. He grabbed my hand more forcefully than I've ever had anyone have the strength to grab my hand. And here he's a fraction of himself. He's weak. He can barely yes. even open his eyes. And he grabs my hand so forcefully and he, and he opens his eyes barely. He goes, you promise me you'll always take care of my hand. And I said, Stanley, I'm going to get choked up. I said, Stanley, I promise. And um, 
I hadn't even gotten all the way back to my office. Yes. He was in so much pain. He was suffering, knowing that his bride was going to be taken care of. Yes. He he was able to go. And so the John had called me. I hadn't even gotten back to my office and said, Daddy passed. Yep. He, needed, he needed to know you were going to take care of our mom. Yep. And he needed to look you in the eyes and know. Yep. And I did until the very last day she, she passed. And I was there myself, not just the caregiver, many times making sure she had absolutely the best. And so that one became a driving force and still is today. I still, yes. I still can feel the feeling when I, when I say that. The other, the other, and there've been so many families that I've had the honor to be, to be a part of their lives. But the second one was my first nursing case. So, yes. you know, Ann and, and, and Stanley had, you know, non-medical kind of care, certified nursing assistant type care um, and with a nurse overseeing it, but mostly what we would in the industry call non-medical care. Uh-huh. I had the opportunity to go meet with a family in November of 2002. I've been open six weeks. It's yeah. a 24 by seven quadriplegic case. Yep. Um, I have a nurse. She feels confident that we have the nurses and we can do it well clinically, but it's a big leap. Getting this case was a difference of my business, probably staying in business and not. Yes. Um, I didn't think about that at the time. I have since thought about it. And so we went to the home um, and you know, some of the, some of the details, maybe not as important, but he had a little, um, he had a little dog named Mabel, Tim did. Um, so it was Tim and Ann, Tim was our quadriplegic and he had this little dog named Mabel. And um, I went to pet her and yes. the animals. And uh, he says, don't, don't pet Mabel. Mabel doesn't like strangers. Um, she might bite you. And I go, oh, okay. And so he said, he brought us in and quadriplegics, I mean, God bless. I mean, they, they no longer are in control of most things. So they want to be able to control the setting and rightfully so. Yes. Right? And so controlling, putting us through the paces a little bit, me and my nurse. Um, and so we sat there at the dining room table and we're answering questions. He goes, how am I going to know that we can count on you? You're a brand new agency. I said, Tim, yeah. I will give you my cell phone number. No matter what happens, if a nurse doesn't show up, I don't know enough to get you out of bed and I won't hurt you. Yeah. But I will be here until someone gets here. I will never leave you alone. Wow. That's how important yeah. you are in this case is. And that continued to be true even once the business was successful. Yes. So I'll tell you one quick last story of you know, kind of how we got the business and then how they stayed a part of my life for, we took care of Tim for 17 years. Um, that is way yes. past the lifespan of a quadriplegic. Yes, it is. Um, and he and he had many touching moments with my family. But um, so we were sitting there and we were answering the questions, answering the questions. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I hadn't even realized. He looked down and he says, you have Mabel in your lap. And I had somehow she'd come over and I picked her up and I was rubbing her belly and she's sitting <laughs> under, under the table. Yeah. And he said, I said, I said, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, no, she she trusts you. And I said, well, I said, are there any other questions you have? Yes. You know, I understand you might not be ready to hire us now, but I'd love to stay in yes. touch. And, you know, in a few months, once we have more experience, you know, can I check back in with you? Yes. you know, would, it, would that be appropriate? And he goes, no, I'm going to hire you. Mabel's already approved you. Hey. <laughs> yes. Taking care of December of 2002. In yes. 20, he passed away in 20. 19. So 2018, um, yes. I had an opportunity over Labor Day to bring my boys. I've got twin now 17 year old boys at the time. They were a few years younger and they see their mommy work a lot. I mean, I, yep. uh, I started this business before they were born. 
So, I mean, I delivered twins, right? Yes. Twins, two pounds, 15 ounces, three pounds, one ounce. Wow. On Shelly. Friday. Yeah. I discharged on a Sunday. I was back at work full-time on, on Monday. Mm. 3 a.m. wake up at my office by five, work until one, visiting hours started until two. They went until 10, <laughs> get yes. up and do it again, right? So yep. I was I was a hands-on, try to be the best mother I possibly could, but I also had a business that needed a mom too. And so yes. they saw me always work hard. Yes. I wanted them to see what it was about because it was never for me about the money. It's right. always been about making the impact for those families. Yes. So I took them to visit Tim and his wife, Anne. And one of my boys is special needs. Um, and so Luke, kind he has kind of no filter in a really sweet and loving way. He crawled up in the bed beside Tim and um, he said, um, can you use your legs? And Tim, no. And we asked some kind of, you know, questions that, you know, a child would. And uh, um, Tim says, do you know that the reason I'm still alive is because of your mom? Wow. And Luke was, what do you mean? He says, what your mom's business is and what her heart is all about is helping people live their best lives. And you're about the same age as some of my grandkids oh. and I would never have seen my children married and I would never see my grandchildren born if your mom wasn't so passionate about just not just getting care but absolutely the best care That's and it really anchored for my kids like mm -hmm. this wasn't just a job and it wasn't oh. like about income statements and what accounting might be about it was about the heart and the difference we were making in families lives and I will always be grateful to Tim and Ann for inviting us into their home with my children yes here with my kids if they look back and mommy missed a soccer game or whatever mommy was working on something that affected a lot of people's lives mm -hmm. and they're my boys lives very important to me too but there has always had to be some kind of give and take along the way fast forward almost exactly one year and Tim passed away yes and the family asked me uh to do the eulogy at the funeral and so Sorry. that has also stuck with me is how do you be how are you a service provider and you become yes. so closely intertwined my family and their family to be asked to do the opening at the eulogy um, and it was a huge honor. And so those would be the ones that I would say have been my biggest um, motivating forces, my biggest mentors around what care should yes, be. Absolutely. And what's important. And it's about relationships. It's about treating yes. people as people and treating them as though I would treat my own family because absolutely. they are and they need for me to treat them that way. Shelly, those are really compelling um, and heartwarming stories of the elderly couple. Uh, Steve and Ann, and then, you know, Tim and Ann, and um, you honed in on the important piece about human services. So, um, you know, transportation services is airlines. We totally get it. There's some emotion involved in, I miss my flight. You know, my bag is lost, right? Um, accounting, it's a financial service. But the human services are more so transformative versus being transactional. And not only do you change the lives of um, patients and their families and your employees, 
but they change you too. I mean, it goes back to the, the law of, uh, of physics and when it comes to energy, Absolutely. it is never lost, right? It's only, it's only transferred, no doubt about it. 20 years, 20 years in this industry, how have you seen it evolve and, and change from that, you know, very first, you know, client and then taking on Tim uh, within six weeks to today, uh, year two and a half into okay. a pandemic, right? 2022. Exactly. What have we seen? It's changed a lot. I, yes. There's a lot more competition. You know, there yes. are very few companies doing what we do back when I started. Yes. So we had a, uh, one location, we grew to a second and third before I ever franchised it. And we're very disciplined with the, the process to approve a franchisee. 85% um, of our franchisees had a personal experience with care. So yes. they get the heart piece. It's not just a business. Yes. Um, and I think what has been surprising to me is as 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 cluttered as a space has come has become, mm -hmm. most all of those companies that are national and scale didn't start with company a company on location. They don't understand the business at its heart. It True. is how they approve their franchisees and how they train their franchisees is transactional because they never got a chance to experience the heart. And I think it the heart is completely changed what we train and how we train it and how we replicate the model. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's difficult for an adult daughter to see, you know, all of these different brands and see them on TV and see that, assume that they all kind of really, really know the heart of the business yes, rather than just a geographical footprint. And so we, we have to combat that because even though there's lots of, there's several brands of large national scale, few of them started with a company owned, which I think does drastically influence how you build a business, what you invest in and what you prioritize. Yes. We prioritize quality of care. We're the only brand that has all of our franchisees have to be joint commission accredited. As a medical yes. professional, you understand how hard of a hurdle that is. Indeed. How could I give a family a thousand miles away my best assurance as we were going to deliver the best care without requiring my franchisee to jump through those hurdles and maintain them on an ongoing basis? And so I think the industry has become very fragmented. I think it's difficult for an adult daughter to read through all of the, the, the noise and figure out who the best care provider is. And I think that's the bad. I think the good of the last two and a half years is that it has made people realize telehealth can really be something that the that the consumer is willing to use and experience to supplement care. I think yes. social determinants of health, you have to have one-on-one -on -one care. You have to do this, right? You have to look in people's eyes. You have to feel their warmth. And I think yes. that's important, but not every family can afford 24 by seven care, right? And that's sure. a small fraction of, of what we provide. And so yes. is there an opportunity for four to 12 hours a day of face-to-face -face care supplemented by the internet of things and sensors in the home and some telehealth monitoring that makes home care become potentially more affordable and allow there to be consideration around more government pay. And I think this, I think the pandemic forced yes. the hospitals were overrun with people needing treatment for COVID yes. to reimagine what should be done at home and what yes. really requires coming into a hospital. Mm -hmm. Similarly, what really should go to a nursing home when our greatest number of deaths of our of our grandparents were in nursing home facilities, sadly, oh. 
and Same. some concentrations in certain ones, but, but a lot of the deaths came there. And so do you believe your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa are safer with, in, in their own home environment or in a community where there are around 6,200 residents where if there's an outbreak, it's spreading very quickly and yes. they're having age and a weakness that makes that devastating. And so I think there is this bias. We joined Moving Health Home um, in early 2021, which is a coalition of like-minded um, providers, payers, et cetera, wanting to influence policy to have more reimbursement so that families have more choice and don't yes. have to pay for it out of pocket to be at home and have care delivered at home. And I think that's what I've seen evolve. Those payers want to know that if they're going to pay for the hours of care, they're reducing their expense elsewhere, less hospital days, less emergency room visits, less skilled nursing facility days. And that's why for us, we really had to invest in technology and data studies so we yes. can prove to those payers that mm -hmm. pay for these services for these families who need it because they will they will have a better quality of life. But guess what? They make their decisions. I get it. They're publicly traded on making sure they can they can pay for it through some other mechanism. And we were able to demonstrate that we can save you know thirteen thousand dollars on average, thirty thousand dollars on you know, the, the higher cost diagnoses with the families where personal care is a part of the bundling of services through nice. Medicare Advantage. Got it. Got it. And, you know, we're going to get to the Medicare Advantage program, you know, question a little bit later in the uh, interview. But I'm so glad that you brought that up, Shelly. And I uh, got one more question prior to commercial, because I know we've uh, been having a great interaction here. And um, not only have you shared insights about having the right heart for the people, the right mind, and how there are a lot of agencies out there that unfortunately focus on the bottom line and look at uh, home health care more so as a commodity versus saying, hey, this is a calling. It's a calling to improve the lives of others, as well as to hone in on some of those things you just talked about, uh, looking at COVID and the impact that it's had on the, the industry. That leads me to this question. What do you think about the convergence, uh, if you will, Shelley, of uh, more collaboration between how we deliver care in personal residences, homes, doctor's offices, I mean, surgery centers, <laughs> and the like, hospitals, rehab facilities. What do you think about that ecosystem of home, you know, care, healthcare in general, and how can we help some of those decision makers in the family navigate this, this complex ecosystem? I, I think it's going to be critical. I think it's already been critical. I think COVID has accelerated the necessity of those in the ecosystem kind of sharing information through, with permission and yes. in a HIPAA protected, HIPAA protected way, but sharing information. So the same client isn't having to tell their same story four times and different experts along that continuum are able to identify identify things or prevent things that will make care holistically better yes. uh, for the for the recipient of care and so we're you know working on some you know higher level discussions around doing some of these kind of programs with you know national hospital chains similarly with some of the larger payers 
some of the hospital at home kind of third party intermediaries kind of pulling us into the mix, um, yes. skilled nursing facility alternatives. But I think it's going to be really important. I think investments in technology that yes. allow that connectivity and sharing of and, and collaborating on the electronic health record is going to be critical. So I think those brands that are small, I mean, I'm all for kind of the local being there and standing behind the service. And that's what our franchise offices do. But they really have to be connected to someone who, like me, can make a $10, $20 million cumulative investment in technology so that we are able to have the platform to have that um, interconnectivity around the ecosystem. Because I think that's best for the patient. I think it avoids preventable negative outcomes yes. um, and allows for a smoother coordination of care and lets allows there to be an identification of who can potentially pay for more of the service with less of it having to be private pay. And I think that's where we will be headed. Because um, I think to the extent that, you know, private pay personal care can be, can reduce costs elsewhere in the continuum, then there needs to be tax credits, there needs to be payer reimbursement, there needs to be yes. offset offsetting that so that there's less out of pocket with time and a, and a larger uh, dispersion of who's paying for those services beyond just the family. Absolutely. Well said. Very well said, Shelly. Shelly, we're going to go to a commercial. Uh, appreciate those insights as related to technology uh, from the standpoint of industry leaders such as Brightstar and those other organizations out there as connected to healthcare systems to really help families. On the other side of the commercial, we'll talk more about families and how could families uh, best prepare their home environment uh, to allow their loved one or to prepare for themselves to age in place successfully. We'll be right back. As Americans, we're defined by our grit, our toughness, our excellence, and our multiculturalism. But here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan, we are battle tested. That's our advantage. We've been hit rather hard by the pandemic and other health challenges. Allow American Advantage Home Care to provide skilled home care services for you in the comfort of your own home. We are Joint Commission accredited and CMS certified. Call us today. Welcome back to season two, episode 12 of the Home Health Care Today show. For those of you that are just joining in this second half of our segment, we're discussing home health care in the past present and future, and we have the founder and CEO of Bright Star Care, uh, Mrs. Shelley's son. Bright Star has been around for 20 years and has 365 locations. Uh, so welcome back, uh, viewers and listeners that were on the first segment, and welcome to the second segment for those that are just tuning in. Shelley, how could we uh, best recommend or suggest families attempt to begin operationalizing their home um, for aging, for aging in place, for themselves or a loved one. So let's talk about it from a logistical standpoint, as well as, I guess, financial preparation for aging in place. Yeah, I think there's a practical of how do you, how do you avoid something going wrong in the home? We see with our, our parents, with our grandparents, if they have a fall, yeah, it's very difficult to come back from that and get back yes. to the same quality of life they had before. So, um, you know, grab bars in the shower, 
beside the beside the toilet, I think are really helpful and really important. Making sure there's no throw rugs that are loose and are gonna move, those are like the number one. Uh, making sure our parents are not getting up on a step stool to change a ladder. That's a really uh, common occurrence of a fall. So yes. remove the step ladder, bring it with you, change their light bulbs, bring in a handyman service. You know, <laughs> the things that we can do to kind of avoid things. And I think it's starting to talk to our parents um, well before they need it. Because they likely shouldn't be driving before they need someone in the home caring for them. And then do they have something that goes wrong? Like um, I'm, I am divorced six years, um, and I, but I have met a wonderful man and I'm in the process. We've been together for a while, helping his mom through the care journey. And, yes. you know, Grammy, as she is called, um, um, is really resistant to giving up her independence. And I understand this journey because I deal, deal with it with a lot of our families Mm -hmm. But she has cancer and we're waiting for surgery to remove um, a mass that's near her kidney and move, remove one of her kidneys. And so she's not feeling well now. She's having trouble eating. She's having trouble getting around. So she needs a caregiver. And I went through the process of bringing a Bright Star caregiver for her. And yes. so my way of talking to Grammy about that a few weeks before we did it is, Grammy, what's going to be really important for you to come out of surgery and make a full recovery is you need to be strong when you go into surgery, which means you have to be eating even if you don't want to. And if we're not there, you're not eating. Yes. So please help me help you allow a caregiver to be there. So I'm not worried yeah. until I can get there in the evening that I can think about being a good mom, being an entrepreneur, doing well by these other families, because I know mine is in a good position. And so putting them into a place where it's not giving up independence by her accepting care, she's actually helping me. And then, so then she's in control of helping me. So there's a way to help a loved one accept care that's needed. And I think it's really hard for us, I'll say as you know, adult daughters, we wanna be there to do it all. I wanna be able to simultaneously find a way to you know, multiply myself and be there for my kids, be there for my, my employees and be there for Grammy, but that doesn't work that way. And no. so how can I outsource some of the care so that when I'm with Grammy, I can be the daughter or daughter. Yes. daughter mm -hmm. right? And yep. so I think those are really important. So I think it's signaling early that it doesn't have to be a loss of independence. It actually is something that's helping us as the adult children Yes. if they will accept it. And I think that's an easier way to get them to try it. Yes. Um, starting with a smaller number of hours. So we started Grammy on four hours a day. And then depending on that, whether there were more that were necessary. And so now we do 10 to six, um, but that we let Grammy be in control kind of the schedule. And then we got to talk through why we might need more and why that might be helpful for the family. But yes. like we had Grammy over for dinner last night and tonight I love to yes. cook my relaxation from uh -huh. you know from a day at the office um yeah. but i need the caregiver there until i can get meal prepped and then we all sit down and we have family time but it's her son my betrothed being you know a son and me yeah. being a daughter and not being a care provider and i so i think some of those conversations yeah. are that's what i find with most families is it's yes. to talk 
the parents into accepting the care. And that would just be some of the techniques that I have used. I'm using them right now in my own personal life, but I have had to use it with hundreds, if not thousands of families over the years. Um, So I think it's getting the the home as safe as possible, avoiding something, but sometimes dementia starts to set in, unfortunately, or cancer starts to occur and, and care needs then become a reality. We're saying to Grammy, you know, why don't we revisit whether this is a forever thing with your caregiver and you have someone in your home all the time? We definitely know we need it up and through surgery and four weeks after, and let's revisit. Now, I don't think we'll ever get to the point in time where she's completely without a caregiver, um, nor does the rest of the family, but it does invite the possibility and gives her something to work towards. Um, And I think that's important because I think helping our seniors stay safe and live a great life, but be in control of their independence as much as possible for as long as possible is really important as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, Shelly. And the roles, I think that was something that was really imperative in their, your, la- your response to the last question. The shifting roles that an individual has, that is, uh, that working adult child, um, and they're, you know, leaving the office place, you know, if you t- you're taking yourself um, as an example, you know, of saying, hey, you know, I am helping out, you know, Grammy in this particular situation. I'm cooking. I got 17-year-old boys that I'm sure love to eat around the clock. You know, I got all these <laughs> things going on and I need to be 100% in so many different areas. I think the challenge for the aging adult or that uh, person that is uh, that has fallen to an illness, they're not 100%. And their role in the family has changed, uh, you know, where, yes, you are that patriarch or matriarch, but I don't expect you to go out and build a shed today. You know, I, I'm not expecting, you know, Grammy to, you know, host the family for Thanksgiving and cook the way that she used to. So I do think, to your point, families preparing that older adult for the change and not treating them like a child. You know, from uh, my experience with my parents who both, you know, uh, passed and I was a primary caregiver for both. You know, my dad looked at me more so as his brother at the end versus, you know, me saying, oh, I'm in the parent role now and I got to take care of mom and dad who are now in children mode. No, I think maintaining the dignity of their adulthood, um, sharing with them that this is a transition of time and energy and condition, but I am here to support. And I got a team of home health care providers that are going to assist us during this transition is so important. It allows them to keep that activity. Beautifully said. And I think it's really important. I think we tend to refer to in the industry about kind of having the roles change. And so I think it is making sure we keep our seniors with their dignity and as much independence as possible. I'd say where the same skills we rely on to be good parents does come into play is I think it will be different when we need care because we voice what we need. Our seniors did not grow up in a time where they spoke up about what they need or if they're unhappy or something's not right. And so I do tend to be very hands-on and very nurturing like I would with my kids as to is the meat the right temperature? Do you need to cut up more? Is your water the right temperature? And that's not about not having them be 
um, respected, right? Yes. And losing their position within the family. But I think there is more um, nurturing and attention to the things that might make them comfortable or uncomfortable, like we would do as a parent. That to me is the part of it um, that needs to be somewhat parenting in the yes. way we approach without letting them lose their dignity. In yes. some ways, we're holding them up as the most important person in the room and making sure yep. they're comfortable <laughs> and have everything they need because they might not voice to us what could make them more comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. Yes. A few more questions. Uh, Shelly will be able to, you know, wrap up this interview. You mentioned Bright Star and its goal to align itself with larger groups as being a major player in the ecosystem and talking on the, the national uh, stage uh, with uh, hospital associations and the like. Let's dive a little bit more into that, Shelley. Uh, why? Why is it that uh, you want to lead Bright Star in that direction to align itself or partner with uh, a, a large healthcare system? I think the react well, and I think it, whether it's a large payer or yes. a system or Medicare Home Health, I think the reality will be that we are shifting politicians' minds on reimbursement mechanisms and having government consider paying for more care in the home in the future. Yes. And I believe we're the highest quality um, delivery organization out there, but we don't accept Medicare directly. Okay. Um, we never have. Um, to me, that's episodic. The way Medicare has tended to, to work is it's more episodic. I'm in yes. for an hour. I do something, then I leave. Yes. We are in there for continual hours of care, deliver great care. If we build a relationship, it's not transactional. Right. But unfortunately, a lot of what families need to access are different funding mechanisms. Yes. And they will want to access more Medicare, commercial insurance, Medicaid, as time changes. And more and more of those programs require Medicare certification. Yes. That would be very difficult for us to move from where we are, even though we're joint commission accredited, and we've mapped the requirements from a quality perspective on Medicare standards of operating procedures to joint commission. And almost everything overlaps. There are a few things in terms of how we bill and how we document that, in my mind, makes Medicare inferior because it's time on paperwork instead of time with the patient. And so it's transactional and ours is not. And so I don't want to move to transactional just to make sure that my families can receive greater reimbursement. And so I think we're going to need to be able to align to do what we do great and yes. rely on someone else in our more direct ecosystem to build Medicare. For yes. And Got so that it. takes an overlay of us delivering great private pay services that maybe is billing the Medicare organization that then is billing upstream. And I'm yes. realistic that things are changing. And so how do I help more families and not move from relationship to transactional as, as to just be a part of that payer mechanism? But is there another way that preserves the heart of what we've built, the quality of what we've built. And I think that's gonna take us being open-minded. Yes. I didn't run from corporate America. No. Mm -hmm. I chased a mission and a passion to do good. And I see, yes. I believe I can do that even if I went back to being part of a larger ecosystem, as long as contractually we're aligned that I am not gonna cut costs that cut quality. Um, right. And we need to continue being the 
you know, higher standard of care in the industry. And as long as someone can align on that mission, I'm willing to consider being part of a broader ecosystem. Totally get it. Totally get it, Shelly. I really appreciate your, you uh, continue to um, go back to mission and focus and service and heart and integrity about the care and the quality of care that's delivered and then the transformational experience. I think staying aligned with those core values is more than important, right? Um, and then the family's experience that they see it. And we want to be able to be in a position where we can influence payers, whether it is uh, insurance companies, Medicare Advantage, or you know, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. We want to uh, be able to shine as much light on the human experience, the value of relationships, the need to have transformative quality care, and it is costly. It certainly is, right? But uh, being able to show the outcomes of what happens when you put your all into patient care versus the outcomes where people just kind of check the boxes, right? Uh, you know it. All right. A few more questions here. We're, uh, that was the perfect segue for... Medicare Advantage plans. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about those. Granted that uh, Bright Start doesn't currently bill uh, Medicare, traditional Medicare. Let's talk about the importance of some of those, you know, uh, PPO and uh, HMO and some of those C plans as we think about um, Medicare Advantage. What makes that group of payers a, uh, a valuable? Um, partner uh, for you, Shelley. Yeah, we are leaning in very heavily to Medicare Advantage because Medicare Advantage does have a personal care component that's allowed. So yes. CMS is delegated to the states um, and to different health insurance companies put together their own plans, right? And some have as a benefit personal care services. And so we don't have to be Medicare certified to fill, for example, the Anthem Medicare Advantage plan or the Humana right. Medicare Advantage plan or the Aetna Medicare Advantage plan. Um, so we can be in network and not have to be Medicare certified to do that. We have leaned in. It's taken a lot of influencing of our franchisees. Um, and I would say as a network, we're not all aligned on leaning into Medicare Advantage. And, and I understand it. I mean, we're, you know, we're in an industry point in time where we're constrained for labor. Um, but the reality is that the, that the world that we have lived in is shifting quickly as yes. it relates to Medicare Advantage. Seven out of 10 new enrollees of Medicare are opting for Medicare Advantage. Soon we'll have 50% of Medicare enrollees being in Medicare Advantage, right? And yes. so if you're not with them at the start of their journey into the home with Medicare Advantage paying for those early hours, we're not going to get an opportunity to be a part of the journey when they use up those hours and then it's private pay. And so right now, horribly, the Medicare Advantage rates are not enough in most of the plans to be sustainable. True. Now we've had some of those relationships, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased with our relationship with Humana, but we were able to show and demonstrate our quality outcomes for our um, in, enrolled in their plan compared to who else they might've been referring out to and, yes. get, and get a rate increase to make it more palatable for our franchisees. But we are having the Medicare Advantage plans, you know, pressure the, you know, the industry to take far less than what it costs to deliver great care. And what I don't want to see is that shortcuts get taken 
by other brands just to deliver that care. And we won't take shortcuts. I'm right now asking our franchisees to say, I know it's less margin, a lot less margin than you could take on private pay, but let's do the right thing. Let's take care of these families. Let's go back. And if we can go back with all of the data and they still won't lift the rates, then maybe it's not the right place to be, or we'll go lobby Congress to intercede to make sure quality metrics are preserved for the families. But we've got to have data to go make the argument. And we, that means we have to say yes to have the data to go make the argument. And so right now we're internally very much trying to influence participation and where we can't, we are aggressively helping franchisees that want to exit, um, sell their business to us. And we're drastically increasing the number of my company owned stores. So we at least have, um, additional locations where we can lean into Medicare Advantage, we are leaning into it heavily, where we are building our own data, at least within the brand, in the, in the locations I own, and then being able to use that to hopefully influence policy and reimbursement rate that will benefit our franchisees in the years to come. Absolutely. I totally get it. I totally get it, Shelly. Shelly, this Avalier study is our, our wrap-up uh, concluding question. And of course, if there's any additional insight on the outside of your response to that question that you would like to share, I, we're definitely open to, to gleaning more insight from you. Talk to me a little bit about that. The Bright Star Care Avalier analysis. Uh, What is the study? What was it all about? What are the key findings and interpretation? And what action will be a result of that particular study? Yeah, thank you. So it was an initiative that we um, began in late 2019. And we were ready to begin the study right after COVID had started. So very difficult for an organization not knowing what the world was going to look like to go invest six years into a study. Um, but Avalier is the most recognized kind of healthcare analysis um, organization. They have a relationship with CMS where they have access to all of the Medicare um, A and B claims data. Yes. And so we were able to feed the customers we've taken care of so they could do the analysis. They own the analysis. We couldn't influence it. They had to be the one to publish a study. So yes. it is, you know, completely, you know, well vetted, um, and they looked at who were the similar demographic individuals with the same health diagnoses, and how did they fare in terms of total cost per member per yes. per, per senior um, in uh, receiving Bright Star Care versus those that didn't have Bright Star Care. And on average, across thirty different healthcare um, diagnoses, we saved $13,000 by being part of the care equation and up to $30,000, depending on what the care, uh, what what the healthcare issue was, uh, an underlying diagnosis was. And so we believe this is critical. We think it will be critical as well for Medicare Advantage to open doors that not all brands are created equal. Many are transactional and they are not bending your cost curve. We are relational. We are high quality. We are investing a lot in joint commission accreditation. We're investing a lot in nurse oversight. What we get as a quality of life for our families with not having to go to the hospital, not having to call an ambulance, not having to go into a skilled nursing facility because we're proactive in nature is great for the the family, great for the care recipient, but it also saves the plans and saves CMS. Yes. And so we have to be able to work on both sides of the equation, both care delivery and payer. 
Um, and this study is really important to continue the dialogue around allowing us to be the high quality provider for the families, but somebody ultimately has to pay for it and pay appropriately to allow quality to occur. You got it. You got it. So this is uh, phenomenal because it um, uh, further provides greater evidence and support uh, for the great work, Shelley, that Brightstar uh, does uh, and has done. And it provides the necessary financial and economic impact of quality care right, to be able to have savings of up to thirteen dollars to $30,000, right? Um, when you begin to look at that type of cost savings, monies could be reinvested into some of those other areas that we talked about. So as we think about, you know, medical supplies and we think about technology and, and the recruitment and the training and the development and the education of caregivers, and then even some respite to an extent where oftentimes the caregiver is not cared for. So putting an organization in a position where it could reinvest, uh, reinvest in its people and reinvest in its quality of care uh, is, is necessary and it must be sustained across the industry going forward because it's obvious with our, um, our longer lifespans, um, and the need to age in place, there's way too many of us to be institutionalized. So uh, <laughs> home is certainly certainly where healthcare is going to be and having the right people with the right hearts, you know, such as yourself and uh, your network at Bright Star. Thank you. It's certainly the key, Shelly. Shelly, is there anything else that you would like to uh, leave our uh, listeners and viewers with today? I think just two things. One, thank you for what you do and bringing <laughs> this to to all that are that are listening uh, to you. And the second, I think we I, I pivoted um, and didn't answer the part uh, second part of a question earlier about how do families pay for it. And so I yes. think right now the those that are probably of the age that are that are listening to you probably yes. are still in a place where they could be considering long-term care insurance. And yes. that is an important part of the equation of paying for care once we eventually need it. Um, unfortunately, if we have parents who already need care, we yes. don't have the opportunity for a long-term care insurance policy if it wasn't already put in place. True. But the listeners are still at a stage where they can do something about that now and it's never too late to get that part of the equation started. Absolutely. Very good. Well, Shelly, I wish you much continued success. I uh, personally want to thank you as well as professionally thank you for, you know, being such a great uh, mentor. This is not a shameless plug uh, by any stretch of the imagination. You did not know I was going to do this, but I am so glad that um, you are providing a, a blueprint, you know, a blueprint for other agencies out there to align their hearts and their mission and their vision around people, around uh, families, patients, and quality care, as well as taking care of their employees, and then how to do it fiscally, successfully, right, to continue to reinvest in models and in people and communities that we that we believe in. So thank you for the, the blueprint here, Shelly, for sure, and for all that you all that you do and continue to do. Likewise, thank you. Yes, and I hope you do have some downtime uh, to enjoy the uh, the latter half of uh, of summer twenty twenty two. Thank you.
Thank you. Okay, once again, uh, that does it, folks, for season two, episode 12 of the Home Health Care Today show. We'll be seeing you very soon. Take great care.